Thank you all for leading us in worship. I want you to think back with me to the last time you had the joyous experience of having an eye examination and they got to adjust the prescription that you needed either in your contacts or your glasses. And I say joyous with very much of a tongue-in-cheek type of expression. You know, you go through that process where they dilate your eyes and do the examination and then they get into putting all the different lenses in front of you and usually it starts out terribly foggy and you can't focus and make out on much of anything and then they will adjust and you keep telling them this is clear, this isn't clear and it goes back and forth and back and forth until hopefully something emerges that seems to be working that you're able to get some decent vision that's going on. And then when you get the new pair of glasses, what a joy that is, adjusting to them. I had a situation years ago when we were in Virginia Beach that I went through all that examination process. They gave me a new prescription, gave me the new glasses, and I put them on, and I was seeing all kinds of things in ways I had never seen them before. Yeah, and, and I remember just it was the first few days were horrible and so on Monday I got them like on Thursday or Friday on Monday I called the obstetrician's office up and I said these glasses are not working and I said I'm seeing things and I was describing the way I was seeing things and do you know what the guy said to me on the phone he said did you go to a party Friday or Saturday night and have too much to drink and that's the reason you're having the problems that you're having that's honestly what he said to me and I and needless to say I took great offense at that and so forth and I said no I didn't go to any party etc it says these glasses that are not working it's throwing my vision all off someone was telling me this past week they got the wrong set of glasses that was given to them and so they were having all kinds of issues trying to adjust to them well when we come to life and focusing in life, often it's like getting that new prescription. We find ourselves constantly trying to adjust. And if we go through changes in life, that can throw the adjustment off even more. So how do we get the focus and how do we keep the focus where it needs to be? I'm beginning a new series of messages this, messages this morning on the mind. Because the way we think and how we think and what the focus of our thinking is determines how we feel and how we act. Thinking precedes feeling, which precedes action. If I'm thinking negative, I'm going to feel negative and I'm going to act negative. If I'm thinking a positive course, I'm going to feel that way and I'm going to act that way. Now in Isaiah chapter 26, the prophet Isaiah, speaking here to the nation of Judah, is basically saying and saying to us, you've got to focus your thoughts on the Lord. And that doesn't just happen. We have to be intentional and deliberate about focusing our thoughts and thinking in alignment with what God is thinking. Not just about our lives, but about life in general. And so if you turn with me to Isaiah chapter 26, Isaiah chapter 26, we're going to look at verses 1 through 3. We're also going to look at a number of other passages of Scripture today as we move through the passage a little bit more than we normally do. So follow closely with me. Now, this, this particular chapter, Isaiah chapter 26, is known as a song of praise. 
We believe that it functioned as an order of worship or a liturgy for the nation of Israel when they would make ceremonial processions into Jerusalem. Back in the worship of ancient Israel, often when they would go into the city of Jerusalem, which was their capital city, as well as sort of the center of the religious activity for the nation, they would have these processionals as they entered into the city. And as they would enter into the city, they would have particular orders of worship that they would follow. In fact, some of the psalms are taken from that those processionals of worship. The songs of ascent, for example, are so-called because they would ascend up to Jerusalem, which was located on a mountain. They would ascend up there, and they were called the Psalms of Ascent. So in this particular case, this song of worship, we believe, had perhaps two different applications. The first is that there had been a battle, and they had overthrown the nation of Moab, and so it is a celebration of them entering the city as victors. That is the city of Jerusalem. Second, it has a prophetic tone to it, and I'm going to point that out in a moment, as it anticipates the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. So Isaiah chapter 26, beginning with verse 1. In that day, this song will be sung in the land of Judah, and Judah being the southern half of the nation of Israel. We have a strong city. Now, you will notice the word city there, but then notice what it says. We have a strong city. He sets up salvation as walls and bulwarks. Now, strong city there is a metaphor prophetically for the Lord Jesus. We have a strong city. We have a strong Savior. And what does this strong Savior do? He sets up salvation. And whenever you see the word salvation in Scripture, it carries the idea of deliverance. He sets up deliverance. And how does He do it? He does it, first of all, as walls and then as bulwarks. Now, that doesn't mean a lot to us in our culture, but in those days when they built a city, they always put a wall around the city. And they didn't, of course, have airplanes and so forth in those days, so your walls were critical to your city for its defense. If you had strong walls, it meant that the enemy could not penetrate and get into the city. And that's why the emphasis is on the wall. The bulwarks were strengthening those walls. So again, you could not have a penetration into the city by the enemy. And he's saying here that this salvation that he sets up, this deliverance he sets up, is done basically to set up so the enemy cannot attack and be successful in the attack. It's not that the enemy will not attack us, but when he does attack, he will not be successful because the Lord has built like a wall around us a protection. And when we live into the deliverance that Jesus wants to give us and the deliverance he wants us to live in, and follow me on this, deliverance is not just about deliverance at the time of salvation. Deliverance, the concept of deliverance and salvation in Scripture is that deliverance is something that I'm living into every day. You see, He began delivering me and saving me on the day I trusted Him as my Savior. He is delivering me every day as I walk with Him from the power of sin and from all that will pull me down. And someday He's going to deliver us into His presence. So it is a continuous idea of deliverance. And so we have a strong Savior. He sets up salvation as walls and bulwarks. And then notice what he says next. He opens the gates. The ancient cities 
The most important part of the city was the city gate. Some of you in your classes are studying the book of Nehemiah, and you notice in there it talks about the gates of the city. The gates were critical to those cities because the way you entered a city was through the city gate. If you wanted to capture a city, you entered it through the city gate. If you were coming back from a victorious battle, the general who had won the battle or the king would enter through the city gate. So it says here that he opens the gates that the righteous nation that keeps faith may enter in. In other words, walking in faith is how we walk through the gates into the salvation that he has for us. Now, verse 3, which is going to be our focus today, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed or focused on you because he trusts in you. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. You keep him in perfect peace. Who is the you here that's keeping us in the perfect peace? Of course, it's the Lord God. And how does he keep us in perfect peace? As long as we keep our minds stayed on him. He has the power to keep us at peace. And the reason he's got the power to keep us in peace is because what shakes us up doesn't shake him up. What overwhelms us does not overwhelm him. What we feel like so often in life, we are underneath. He is over and above it. So as long as we keep our focus on him... He is in control. He is over it and above it. And it may be shaking us up, and it may be shaking everything around us up, but believe me, it is not shaking the Lord up. Just in the story that I told the kids, the disciples were getting shook up in the boat. They were getting shook up inside even more. When Peter gets out on the water and starts walking to Jesus and he starts listening to the storm, he's getting shook up. He's getting overwhelmed. But there was one person in the story here out on the sea that night that was not being shaken up, and that was Jesus. Because Jesus knew that the wind that was blowing, He had created and He controlled. Jesus knew that the waves that were lapping around Him were rather serving just to sort of wash His feet off as He walked through the the Sea of Galilee. Jesus knew that everything that was shaking everybody else up, He was in total control of, so they might be shook up, but He was not shaken up. And that is the idea here when it says that Who is it that keeps us in perfect peace? It is the one who is totally in control. He's got the power to maintain the peace. He also sustains us. And that is, he's got the full power to sustain us and to hold us up. Just like he reached out for Peter and pulled Peter up out of the water, he's got the power to pull us up and to keep us walking on the water. He has the power to sustain us. How does he do that? Everything that happens to us in life, everything happens in His presence. He's before it. Nothing transpires that doesn't transpire in the presence of the Lord. Sometimes we talk about the presence of the Lord like I'm going to come to church to be in the presence of the Lord, and that's true. But you see, nothing in life transpires in our lives that's not in the presence of the Lord. All that transpires, all that happens is in the presence of the Lord. Of the Lord, and He permeates everything. Years ago, when we lived in Powhatan, we lived, the house house we lived in was about, I don't know, about 800 feet, I guess, off of the main, off of the road. And there was a forest in between our house and the road, and the driveway went down through there. Now, I used to notice that the driveway would get very dry this time of year. 
And so when a car went by or when you walked up that driveway, you'd kick up dust all over the place. But if we had rain like we had the last two weeks around here, not only would the dust not be there because the water had so penetrated the soil, but the whole atmosphere when you walked down the driveway was filled with moisture. It was all in the air. There was so much water that it had permeated everything because of the amount of rainfall. And the idea here when it says he keeps us in perfect peace is the idea that the presence of God permeates everything in our lives. He changes the atmosphere of our lives because his presence literally causes the atmosphere to drip with the sense of his presence. And that's just a fact. It's not that I have to feel it. Like a teacher told me years ago, let your feelings catch catch up with the facts. The fact is that he's there and he's permeating it. Now notice what it says. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. The word mind there, I'd like for you to write this down. It carries several concepts. First of all, it's the total way that we look at life. The total way we look at life. It is the idea, second, of imagination. God gave all of us the ability to imagine. That's where so much of our creativity is stored at, our ability to imagine. But it is the idea that my imagination, my ability to imagine is in alignment with God's purpose and God's will. My mind, my imagination is set on Him. I am listening to Him. I am being patient and I am learning to discern where He is and what He is doing. I tell you, the longer I live in life, the more I am convinced that the greatest need that we have is the need for discernment. Lord, I need to discern who you are. I need to discern where you are in this situation. I need to discern your presence, and I need to discern your will. Because, God, there is no situation, no set of circumstances that I do not face in life that, God, you're not in the middle of, and you have a purpose, and you have a will, and you have a way. And if I can just learn your purpose, if I can get in alignment with your will, if I can understand your way, then I'm operating, Lord, with your mind, whose mind is what it is stayed on you. The word there is a fascinating word. It first of all means to lean upon. And the idea there is my mind is kept in perfect peace as I am leaning on Him and as I am leaning in to Him. Have you ever had a time in your life when you were just all shook up about something and you got around somebody who was solid and stable and at peace and you begin to absorb their peace? Well, that's the idea, that I'm around Jesus and I'm close to Jesus and I'm staying so close to Him that His peace is becoming my peace. And the state of mind that He is in is becoming the state of mind that I am in. But the word doesn't just stop there. It was also used in that day of taking clay and shaping and forming and molding clay into something. And so he says that my mind is stayed on you, Lord. It's the idea that God is taking me 
and he is shaping me and he is molding me. He is taking my mind and he is shaping and molding my mind. So the reason I am staying on him and I am in peace is because God is shaping and molding my mind. God is shaping and molding my emotional structure. Now, if you and I focus, let's say, on something that really troubles us, what happens? It begins to shape us and to mold us, and we become like the anxiety that we're focused on. If I'm struggling with unforgiveness, then I'm going to begin to be shaped and molded inside of me by the unforgiveness that I'm focusing on. But if I am focusing on Jesus, then I'm going to be shaped and molded by Him. And what we're thinking and what we're feeling and how we're acting tells the story of what's shaping and molding us. If I'm acting out of fear, making decisions out of fear, then I'm being shaped and molded by that. If I'm doing the same thing with unforgiveness, being shaped and molded by that. If I'm focusing on Jesus, He is shaping and molding me to be what, after Him. Now, 1 Peter 5, verse 7. Love this verse. 1 Peter 5, 7. Casting all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. And the word casting there literally means to hurl. So what I'm doing is when I look at Jesus, when I am focusing on Jesus, I'm taking the stuff that's eating my lunch. And what am I doing with it? I'm not sitting there and struggling with it. I'm not fooling with it. I'm not being shaped by it. I'm just taking it and hurling it on Jesus, throwing it on Him. So now it's His stuff. He's got it. I'm not carrying it. Hurling on Him. And He says that when we do that, we do that. Why? Because He cares for us. He takes it. He works with it. He's got it. Go before the Lord. Give it to Him. And stay in the presence of the Lord in prayer until deep in your heart you hear God say to you, I got this. And when God says to you deep in your soul, I got this, then you got the peace to move on. And sometimes it takes a while to get there. And sometimes we have to go to the Lord over and over before we get there. But just stay with it. And God will say to you sooner or later when you get to that place, I got this. I got this under control. Just move with me in this. Our minds are stayed on Him. Notice the second verb. And we trust in Him. We exchange our instability for His stability. Now the word trust there. Give you several ideas bound up in that word. First of all, it means to have a confident expectation. A confident expectation. I'm trusting in Him. He says, your mind is stayed on him, and you're at peace because he trusts in you. I have a confident expectation that, number one, he is listening to me. And I have a confident expectation that he is going to act and he is going to respond. Now, that does not mean that he's going to act and respond all the time the way we want him to. It does mean that I've got a confident expectation that he's going to listen and that he is going to respond, and God is going to be at work. The second idea in the word there is I hide for refuge in him. I hide for refuge in him. Lord, I've got an expectation that you are here, 
And God, I'm going to lean on you. And Lord, in so doing, I'm going to trust you to be my refuge. And that doesn't mean we go run, hide in a corner in life somewhere and never come out. It rather means that I am not living in my strength alone. I am living in and out of his strength. I am living in and out of his power. I am living in and out of his wisdom. I'm living in and out of his direction. I'm living in and out of his presence. All of me is leaning into all of him. All of me is leaning into all of him. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 12. Apostle Paul says, Why am I suffering as I do? But I'm not ashamed in that suffering. For I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that He is able to guard unto that day, and that day is the day that Jesus comes again, to guard unto that day what has been entrusted to me. Paul says, I'm not ashamed because I know whom I believed in. And I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what I've entrusted to him. And he says if we place our trust in him, if we're growing in our trust in him, our mind is stayed on him, then notice what he says next. He says, I'm going to keep you in perfect peace. The word keep there in Isaiah means to guard our minds and our emotional system. He says that my commitment to you, if you trust in me and keep your mind focused on me, is that what I'm going to do is I'm going to put a guard around your life and I'm going to guard your life. I'm going to guard your emotional system to keep you out of fear, to keep you out of confusion. I'm going to keep my eye close on you and I'm going to give you my peace. Now notice in Isaiah 26, 3, it's very interesting what he says here. You keep him in what kind of peace? Perfect peace. The literal Hebrew there is you keep him in peace, peace. It's the same word twice. Now the English translators tried to mix it up a little bit to get the idea through, but it literally is the same word repeated twice. I'm going to keep you in peace, peace. What in the world is he trying to say by saying it twice? It was a Hebrew literary device to try to emphasize something and put as much of a pang to it as they possibly could. I'm going to keep you in peace, peace. First of all, I'm going to keep you calm and at rest deep inside your soul. There will be a solid, quiet calmness inside of you. Still waters run deep. Still waters run deep. I'm going to give you that peace, peace. I'm going to give you that calm deep inside your soul. Second concept there is the idea of I am fulfilling the role that God has for me. My life, I am living out what God has for me. There are times that you just step back and you say, you know, what I'm doing, where I am, what I'm a part of, 
I've really sensed deep in my spirit that I am fulfilling and living out what God has for my life. And there is a satisfaction there. There is a peace there. How much unrest do we have in life? Because often we've got this haunting sense inside of us. I'm not really living out why I was put on planet Earth. In fact, I don't have a clue as to why I was on planet Earth. I'm just sort of existing through life. The idea of this peace is that I am finding the will of God, the purpose of God in life, and I am living that purpose out. And there's peace there because there is a sense of fulfillment. Jesus said in John 14, 27, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. Story of Jesus and Peter. Peter says, Jesus, can I get out on the water and can I walk to you? And Jesus says, come on. Because the the purpose of your life is to walk in my power, is to walk in my miraculous activity. The purpose of your life, Peter, is to know what it is to walk in the power of God and the presence of God. See, what Jesus, I think, was trying to teach him that night about walking on the water was not about walking on water. I mean, that was fun, but it really wasn't accomplishing anything other than walking on water. So Jesus was not trying to just say, hey, come on, I need to have fun walking on the water with me. I think what Jesus was trying to say, Peter, the purpose of your life, the call of your life, what I've got for you in life is for you to walk in my power and in my glory and in all that I am doing and to walk in my power and my glory when all you know what's breaking out around you because he was preparing Peter for what was going to come. Because later on when Peter begins to serve Jesus, he walks in all kinds of storms that are not physical, natural storms, but emotional storms and storms of opposition. So he's saying, Peter, I'm going to train you here to walk in my power. And Peter starts doing it. And then Peter starts listening to the storm. And that's what gets us knocked off of the purpose of God when we start listening to the storm. And then the listening causes his eyes to get off of Jesus. And he starts looking at waves. And he starts looking at the result of high wind. And he starts looking at lightning. And his ears aren't filled with Jesus anymore. They're filled with the storm. And he starts sinking And he says, Jesus, would you do something? And what does Jesus do? He doesn't scold him. He just reaches down, pulls him up out of the water. And then what do they do at that point? Jesus does not pick Peter up and throw him in the boat. He doesn't take Peter and throw him over his shoulder and said, you bozo, you can't keep your eyes on me, so I'm going to have to throw you over my shoulder and cart you in here. (laughs) Together. They walk on the water and get in the boat. Together, they walk on water and get in the boat. And if you looked at Peter, as he walked with Jesus to 
the boat and got into the boat with Jesus, you would have seen the same expression on Peter's face that you saw on Jesus' face because you'd be seeing the same peace on Peter's face that was in the face of Jesus. Doesn't say a word here about the storm changing, but everything had changed. Let's pray. Lord, help us to find the peace that you've got for us because we keep our mind focused on you. Lord, all of us at some place in our lives struggle to keep our, our minds focused on you. It's so easy, God, to focus on the anxiety, to focus on the sense of loss, to focus, Lord, on loneliness instead of on your presence, to focus on what we've lost in life instead of what we've gained, Lord Jesus, in you. It is so easy, Lord, to focus on all kinds of, of, of negative stuff. Lord, help us rather to focus on you instead of all the stuff. And in so doing, Lord, to have our minds stayed on you, trusting in you, leaning all that we are into all of who you are. So the Lord, you're shaping and molding us to become like you. And so that, Lord, we can have that sense of peace that we are living out, which you've called for us. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, if you're here today and you need to give your life to Jesus and love Him and trust Him and walk with Him and serve Him, as we sing in a moment, I want to invite you to walk the aisle here and to make that decision for Christ today. We would love to pray with you and, and welcome you into God's family as you say, yes, Jesus, I, I want to walk with you and I want to know you in life. If you're here this morning and you sense that God's leading you here to become part of our church family, we invite you to come and join here with us. And if there's any other public decision you need to make, or if you want to just come and just kneel here at the front and talk to the Lord and maybe give some stuff over to Him, then refocus life on Him, that I invite you to do that. Lord, have your way with us in these moments we ask. In Jesus' name.